Well, this is Pentecost Sunday, and it's uh, looked on as the birthday of the church. And well, it should be. Uh, the thing is, uh, it begins, if you want to know what Pentecost is all about, the first place you need to look is back in the Old Testament with uh, King David. David loved the Lord. He wanted to build a house for God. But God said, no, you can't do it, but your son can. And so he, uh, uh, he got everything ready. And the Lord instructed David as to exactly how his house should be constructed. And so after Solomon, his son became king, the people of uh, Israel got together and they built the Lord's house. And they built it exactly the way that the Lord had instructed them to do so. And when it was complete, and they all entered in and began doing what the Lord told them to do, all of a sudden, without warning, but exactly at the right time, the glory of God just filled the temple, what's referred to as the Shekinah glory of God. And the presence of God all of a sudden was so strong in that temple that the priests couldn't even stand up. They would try and they couldn't even stand up. And it was like, it sounds like it was like a haze of glory just filling the temple. And so uh, after that, the Lord made it clear to Solomon that his place should be called a house of prayer. And prayer is when you come close to God and you talk to him. And this was a place where people could always go and they would know that they were close to God. Well, now fast forward a thousand years or so. Jesus has come. And as he uh, enters into Jerusalem, one of the first things that he does in the last week of his life is he goes straight to the temple, the place that's supposed to be the house of prayer. And all out front, there are the money changers and they're the people selling the sheep for the sacrifices and all this uh, commerce is going on on the steps and even in the uh, different parts of the house of God. And Jesus goes through and he just turns all these tables over and he gets a whip and he runs everywhere, everybody out of the place. And he tells them that this is supposed to be a house of prayer. That's what God meant it to be. Well, it hacked people off. They didn't like that. And that's one of the reasons why toward the end of the week, they crucified him. But then Jesus arose from the dead, didn't he? And then he told his disciples, I want you to tarry in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the father. And they trusted him. And they did what he told them to do. And then 
all of a sudden, the glory of God came upon God's people, the church. Those disciples gathered together there. Just as he entered the temple back way back when, now then he enters a new temple, a new temple not built with hands. And I'll read with you to you about that in First Peter. Uh, we find this in the uh, uh, second chapter of First Peter, beginning with the fourth verse. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, speaking to you, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, a new temple has been constructed just as Solomon did what his father told him to do and carried out God's will. Jesus did everything that he was supposed to do to prepare us to become the temple of the living God. And when everything was ready at just the right time, the glory of God came upon the church. And so that's why we call this the birthday of the church, because it's at that time that the spirit came and has resided in his true church ever since. Now, then the problem is a lot of people have no idea about that. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you just simply about today. The son of a wealthy man expected to receive a sports car for his graduation. And instead, his dad called him into his study and told him that he loved him. And he handed him a wrapped up present. And when he opened it, he found there in the box a leather bound Bible with his name inscribed on the spine. And angrily, the young man tossed the box on his father's desk and stormed out saying, with all your money, all you're going to give me is a Bible. And they never spoke again, despite the fact that the young man's father tried hard to contact him over and over again. Years later, he got a call to say that his dad had passed away and left everything to him. And as he was going through his father's belongings, he found that Bible still in its box. Curious, he took the Bible out of the box and he opened it. And the page fell open to a passage that his father had marked. And as he looked at the page, he noticed that his dad had underlined Matthew 7, 11. If you then, being evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father give what is good to those who ask him? And as he read it, a car key fell from inside the Bible. It had a tag with the dealer's name on it for the sports car that he had wanted many, many years earlier. And on the tag beside his graduation date were the words, paid in full, love, dad. Pentecost is the season when we remember God's great gift to us following the death of his son in our place on the cross. And that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And yet so many Christians today reject the gift of the Holy Spirit. It has been a part of the belief of the church since it was born. We affirmed it again today in the Nicene Creed when we said, I believe in the Holy Spirit. But they reject the Holy Spirit, many of them either out of fear or ignorance or simply out of misinformation, missing out on a wonderful and crucial gift from God himself. I can remember the first full-time church I served was an old building. It wasn't as old as this one, but it wasn't in as good a shape as this one either. And it was two stories, and the back of it had a long hallway that was real, real dark. And an upstairs area that had a hallway that was real, real dark. And I remember I was uh, uh, there doing something, and a couple of kids were there, and one of the kids said, hey, why don't we go back here? And the other one said, oh, don't go back there, or the Holy Ghost will get you. <laughs> And that's the way I think that a lot of people look at the Holy Spirit. You better be careful or the Holy Ghost will get you like it's a bad thing. But the thing is, it's not a bad thing. It's meant to be a part of our everyday Christian life. The Pentecost season is uh, the time when we remember that the Holy Spirit was given it's more than just a contagious, positive attitude or an emotional form of worship. He's the promise of the Father that the disciples were told to wait for, and they waited for obediently in Jerusalem. He's the third person of the Trinity, along with the Father and the Son. He is the helper promised by Jesus. He says in the Gospel of John in the 14th chapter, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. He's referring to, you know, he's going away. They're not going to have him to help them along, but he's going to give you, the Father will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be 
in you. And then just a little bit further down, we read, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the helper, there's that word helper again. But the helper, the Holy Spirit. And so there's no question that the helper is the Holy Spirit. That the, Ho the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will touch, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And then right before he leaves, just before he ascends into heaven, in the book of Acts, we hear the Lord saying this. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father, to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He was speaking of the day of Pentecost. So when he had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the father has fixed by his own authority. But listen to this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the world. As we read on in the New Testament, we see that every new believer was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father to every believer, not just way back then, but to us today. Listen to what Peter says at the conclusion of his sermon on the day of Pentecost. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the, the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise. This is the promise of the father. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. And then if you don't feel like you've been included in this until that point, listen to this. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself. 
If you have been called to God or called by God to him, then you are one who has been promised the Holy Spirit. This includes you. It includes me. Now, last week we looked at Sarah and Abraham. And do you remember the mistake that they made? They knew what God had promised. They knew what he wanted. And knowing this, they decided that the rest of it was up to them. And so they took things into their own hands and they figured an angle to get things done legally and all. And the result was Ishmael. And it's a disaster that's gone on for 4,000 years because they knew what God wanted, but then they tried to provide it in their own power, in their own way. They tried doing what they thought that they should in their own way. Thank goodness the disciples didn't do that. If they had, they'd have probably held a board meeting and they would have... uh, tried to plot and plan how, okay, we've got the Great Commission. How are we going to bring this about? What sort of a thing should we be doing? And start, it's all up to us now. We've got to get it done. Or they would have, uh, and they'd said, okay, and we've got the Great Commandment. We need to be out loving our neighbors. And we need to do all this stuff to show our neighbors that we love them. But if they had done that, they'd have short-circuited things, wouldn't they? Because they would have not done what the Lord told them to do right then. He told them not to just get busy. He told them to go and to tarry in Jerusalem and then take it from there. They didn't decide, well, we know we need to make disciples. Let's get busy. We know we need to be telling everybody that Jesus died on the cross for them. We better get busy. They had learned that they not only needed to know God's will, but that they should go about doing God's will his way and in his timing. And then they would have his power working with them as they went about doing the things that he had for them. Yes, they had the great commission. Jesus did say all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How is he going to be with them? Through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. But see, they also had the great commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now I want to repeat what Jesus said in John 14 about loving him. And as I do, Remember that Jesus is God. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I'll ask the father 
and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. If you love me, he says. And then in the second part, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And it goes on. So Jesus is saying, if you love me, the Holy Spirit's going to come to you and he's going to fail you. Because if you love me, you're going to do what I tell you to do. And if you're doing things my will, my way, uh, then in my time, my power will be with you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. A few weeks back, we looked at the words love and hate in the biblical perspective. Do you remember that? And Jesus said that if you didn't hate your family, you couldn't be his disciple. And what he was saying goes right along with the great commandment that we just read. Jesus always has to come first. Love for him must be greater than any other love that you have in this world. If you dig into all the aspects of living of loving Jesus, I've discovered that at the very heart is faith. And it's a deep trusting faith, a trusting faith. You know, you can believe him. You know, he's going to keep his word. You know that he has the best in store for you. And so it's a deep, trusting faith. It's a faith that knows he can be trusted. I've shared this story. I'm getting ready to share now two times before since I've been here. But some of you haven't heard it yet. And it just makes this point so well. So I'm going to share it again. There was a young man that was driving through the mountains and all of a sudden he came to a a beautiful panorama up way high and there's a ascetic overlook and he was just drawn to it. So he pulled in to the parking space. He got out and he got right up to the edge and it was thousands of feet down. It was just glorious all that he could see. And he was just taken away by it. And all of a sudden he fell off the side of the cliff. And as he's plummeting down the side of the cliff, he reaches and he's able to grab a branch to a limb just sticking out of the side of this cliff. It's still thousands of feet down and it's hundreds of feet up. And he can't even hear a bird sing, let alone the roar of a car going by up there on that uh, road up there. So what else can he do? He starts yelling for help. And he yells and he yells. Still, not even a cricket chirping. Deadly quiet. His fingers are starting to loosen. He knows he can't hold on much longer. And so he says, God, are you out there? And this voice says, yes, son, I'm right here. He says, well, well, God, will you help me? And the voice says, yes, son, let go of the limb. Anybody else out there? 
And you get the point, I'm sure. Sometimes doing what God tells you to do is scary. And sometimes there are a lot of us that have known in the past what God wanted us to do. But it was just too scary. And we weren't willing to do it his way. Faith, trusting faith is something that uh, you see, that's when you just let go of the limb. Faith doesn't look around for another way because you know that he is the only way and that his way is the way that will not end a disaster, even though it looks like other ways are going to take you right to disaster. Faith lets go of the limb and finds the power of God. Now, is there a limb that you've been holding on to? That's one of the things we need to know this morning. It's one of the things that the Lord's wanted to make sure that you thought about today. Some of you have been hanging on to a limb for so long and you're so tired. It's gotten so hard and yet you haven't known what else to do. So the first question is, have you asked God to help you? Because he's made it clear he wants to. He said, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock, the door will be open. And yet so many people refuse to even talk to God about their troubles because they are so prideful. They've taken this it's all up to me thing so strongly that they can't even turn to him whenever they realize that they really need him. I have seen this so many times and I've just asked people, have you prayed about this? And I remember one time a guy said, when I was doing well, I didn't bother him. I'm in trouble, so I'm sure not going to bother him now. That's somebody that hasn't really gotten started with the Lord yet. You can't bother him. In scripture, you see people trying to tell people not to bother God. And he stops them, says, Bring the kids here. Bring that blind man here. He always says, he stops when the woman reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. He always has time. You're not troubling him. But the thing is, do you have a limb? Have you been hanging on? Are you getting tired? Pentecost says, there's a power at work in this world today. And it's the power of God. And he wants to be working in his church and through his church. The people in the Old Testament and building the temple, they did things God's way. And in his time, his power manifested itself. Jesus did things exactly the way his heavenly father told him to do things. And then his disciples did things the way that they were supposed to. And it began with trusting Jesus 
and trusting his way, even though it didn't make any sense. And when they did, my goodness, the church was born. John Wesley, the founder of our denomination, he tried it. He decided it was all up to him. He tried to be good. He tried to do everything. We're called Methodists because he had a method for getting everything done. He knew how many times a day he was going to pray. He knew how many good deeds he was going to do every day. He knew how many poor people he was going to help. He had it all down. He had a formula and his formula did not work. He tried and tried, but he was still hanging on to a limb. And that limb was that it was all up to him. And so, and it's interesting, I read about this this morning. Somebody wrote into a, a, a group that I'm a part of and said, what's all this stuff about the Aldersgate experience? Why do we make such a big deal out of that? Because, you know, what was he doing whenever that happened? Was he walking along the street or was he uh, sitting in a, in a, in a, one of the class meetings or what was he even doing? And so here's somebody that's a part of the church. Somebody, I'm talking about this person that wrote in and asking this, somebody that thinks that they're a part of the hidden happening things in the church. And they've never even read John Wesley's account, the founder of our church's account. And here's what happened. He was so tired of trying, but he just kept on trying. And he sat down in a meeting that he heard was going on. It wasn't even a Methodist meeting. And the, the preacher was talking, and the Bible study was talking about uh, Martin Luther was reading from Martin Luther's preface to Romans. And John Wesley all of a sudden says, all of a sudden, I felt my heart was strangely warmed. And I felt I did trust in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. That Jesus did die on the cross for my sins. All of a sudden, John Wesley, after trying so hard, was willing to trust the Lord and let go of the limb. Trust. That's at the heart of all of it. That's at the heart of it all. Uh, I ran across this account from another pastor the other day. And I think it pretty well brings together what the Lord wants to get across to us on this Pentecost Sunday. Said Hannah was one of my life's work colleagues. She used to love spending time with our congregation, but she found the gospel message just plain weird. We did some Bible studies with her over the summer and she kept looking at us in astonishment. We would read about Jesus walking on water, rising from the dead, and ascending into heaven. You really believe all this, she would ask? Later, she told us what we believe sounded crazy. And yet she kept telling herself, 
they seem like sensible people who are able to hold down jobs. And then one day, a member of our community challenged her. Don't wait until you get all your questions answered. Just ask yourself whether you can trust Jesus. And so Hannah went home and she describes how she was sitting on the floor in her front room when she suddenly knew it was all true. In that moment, she became a Christian. What happened as she sat on that living room floor? The Holy Spirit came on her. There was no shining light or audible voice, but the Holy Spirit came to give her faith in Jesus. This is what Jesus meant in John chapter 3, verse 3, when he says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Then in verse 6, he explains, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. In other words, the spirit gives us spiritual life. It's like being born again into a new life. The theological word for this new birth is regeneration or rebirth. Without regeneration, we just can't see the kingdom of God. With Hannah, you see, as with all of us, it begins when we realize that we can trust Jesus and that deep down, we really have been trusting him. There's just been a lot of stuff in the way. Everything else, you see, just falls into place the moment that we realize we need to trust him. And even as you start to try to trust him, he begins to help. His Holy Spirit comes. The disciples trusted Jesus. They knew what he had told them to do, and they did it. They knew the way he wanted them to do it, and they did it that way. And when the time was right, the Spirit came, and He's been coming to those who trust Jesus ever since. The enemy through the ages has convinced a large part of the church that it all depends on us. But this Pentecost Sunday, the Lord is calling on all of us to reclaim the truth that as we do God's will in His way, in his timing, his power will be in us and working through us to bring about his purposes. You see, it doesn't all depend on you. God never meant for it to be that way. Instead, we all depend on him, whether we like it or not. That's just the way it is. In all of life, we need a helper. 
And he's just waiting to help you. It all really begins when you put every other question aside but this one. Can you trust Jesus? That's where it began with me. That's where it began with John Wesley. That's where it began with the disciples. Can you trust Jesus? If the answer is yes, have you been trusting him? And if the answer is no, then the next question obviously is, well, why not? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.